0: Fantastic. You can be seated. It's so great to see you today. We welcome you to Edge Church. A few years ago, uh, an elevator technician showed up here at the church to fix the broken elevator. One of our staff members let him in and went back into the office and shut the door. A few hours later, they walked back through the lobby and found the elevator repairman looking like he had seen a ghost. I mean, literally, this man had was just completely overwhelmed. And so Our staff member inquired a little further, are you okay? And he said, for the last few hours, I have been stuck in the elevator. I've been trapped. The elevator repairman didn't know what to do. And uh, we inquired a little bit. We said, well, what did you try to call? Because there's a phone in the elevator. And the guy said, well, the phone wasn't working. And I couldn't get any cell reception because I was in this closed space. And if you've ever been in our church elevator, you know, it's a very very tight place. He said, I'm also claustrophobic. And I was stuck and nobody could help me. I thought, how interesting would that have been? This was a Friday. If nobody would have heard from this guy until Sunday morning. This guy would have just been stuck. In between floors, he couldn't get out because he was stuck in between the floors. He was stuck between where he was and where he wanted to go, and he could not get out. Finally, he, as a last-ditch effort, I guess he was pretty motivated to find a resolution. He flipped some switch and was able to get the elevator to the appropriate level and was able to exit. I think he's terrified. I don't think he wants to come back and work on our elevator here at Edge Church anymore. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you've ever felt stuck in between floors, stuck between where you were and maybe where you felt like God was leading you, and maybe you were realize you realized that you were all alone. Maybe God has seemed very silent. You've inquired, "Well, where is where is the Lord? God's maybe not hearing my prayers, or you know, is 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 God listening to me? Where is God?" Uh, we're, we're looking at the book of Esther over the next few weeks and it's really interesting because the book of Esther is the story of, uh, it's a powerful story of, of a young woman, but, but it's so powerful because the name of God is not mentioned in the entire book. Did you know there's a book of the Bible where God's name is not mentioned at all? And yet God is seen everywhere behind the scenes did you know that God is a God that is moving and orchestrating circumstances and he's putting together relationships and 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 designing certain experiences God has a whole plan he has a storyline for your life but a lot of times you don't realize that's God sometimes we're so busy just going through the motion that we miss the fact that God is the one that's writing the story of our life. The title of this series is called Storyline. And, and the subtitle um, is Let God Write Your Story. You see, sometimes we, we are so obsessed with writing our own story of our life and then asking God to bless it. And we're so busy writing the pages of our own existence that we forget to ask god maybe what his story was for us in the first place god has a great story for you jeremiah 29:11 says that his plans are good god has a really good story if we would get our life more in alignment with the story of god i think we would find a lot more peace we would have a lot more significance a lot more purpose a lot more power, a lot more strength and vitality. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking this concept of letting God write the story of our life. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Esther today. It's over there in the Old Testament. And the title of the message is God is my elevator. Does you know God is the one who lifts people up? God is the one who lifts people up out of the pit of despair. God is the one who elevates people and gives them influence. God is the elevator of our life. We may feel stuck, but God is the elevator. And one of the great themes of the book of Esther is providence. And the providence of God is how God works and how he orchestrates scenarios and situations to lead and direct our lives. There's a few characters I want to introduce you to in the book of Esther. We'll be looking at this in more detail over the next few weeks. The first is the king. He's referred to in some Bibles as Ahasuerus, um, which is a title like president or governor or prime minister. Um, Ahasuerus in the book of Esther is a guy by the name of Xerxes I. If you're a history nerd, his father was Darius the Great from the Medo-Persian Empire. That's the guy. And uh, Ahasuerus is not a believer. He is uh, the most powerful man in the world at this time. The Medo-Persian Empire extended from Ethiopia all the way to India and everywhere in between. And and home base is in a place called Susa, which is in modern-day Iran. So this is a massive kingdom, massive kingdom. This guy is is a major player on the world stage. He has a queen by the name of Vashti. And Vashti is a strong, independent woman. She's strong-minded. Sometimes she has some of her own ideas and she does not follow everything that her husband instructs her to do. (laughs) Uh, There's also a guy by the name of Mordecai. Who works for the king. He's a lower level uh, administrator for the king. He uh, is a Jew and he's living in modern day Iran. And so he's, he's kind of an outsider, ethnically speaking. But God is going to use him powerfully and wonderfully because he is the legal guardian of a young woman by the name of Esther. And Esther is the main character of the book of Esther. And Esther is a young woman. A lot of biblical commentators believe she's maybe 14 or 15 years old. She's going to win a beauty contest and become the queen of the Medo-Persian Empire. And uh, this is a powerful story. So um, it picks up in chapter 1 with a massive party. I mean, uh, the frat brothers over at CSU have no... They have nothing on the the, the parties that were being thrown here in the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, It lasted 180 days. Can you imagine that? That was quite a party, wasn't it? And uh, this was such a great party that people had their own golden goblets that were uh, uniquely inscribed. They were all different. And the king ordered that people could drink as much wine as they wanted to. I mean, this was a party. 180 days of this. And then after the 180-day party, as if that was not long enough, he had a seven-day party. And uh, when the king was drunk, he invited his wife, or maybe commanded his wife Vashti, to come show off her beauty before all of his drunken friends. And Vashti the queen is having a gathering with some of her girlfriends, but now she's been summoned by the king And uh, he says, wear your crown. And some biblical commentators think that maybe the king was asking Vashti to come over and show herself off to all of his friends with only her crown on. We're not sure exactly, but one way or another, Vashti does not want to be gawked at by all of these drunk men. And she refuses to come, and this upsets the king. And so the king decides to end his marriage to Vashti because she's disobeyed him. He gathers together some of his advisors, and the advisors say, listen, man, you can't see her again because if you do, all the women in the kingdom are going to disobey their husbands like Vashti disobeyed you, and you got to get rid of her. And uh, the drunk king says, you're absolutely right. What a great idea, you know? And so that marriage is terminated. Shortly thereafter, uh, one of the king's advisors recommended that he have a beauty contest and that he would recruit talent from every province in the Persian Empire. 127 different provinces would send the most beautiful, the most stunning, the most magnificent young girls that they had to be in this beauty contest. And from that selection, um, the king would find his new bride. He would find his new, his new king. You know, beauty pageants are an interesting thing. I, I talked to one of our staff members. I don't know, did you know that Jan Harrington on our staff used to be a beauty queen? Did you know that? She used to be on the, the beauty queen circuit back there in Oregon back in the day. Some of you know Jan? Yeah, you can give her a hard time about that. Isn't that cool? She's humble, though. You wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that about her. And see, I was so naive. I thought that when you were in a beauty pageant, you just kind of showed up in high heels, strutted across the stage in a really pretty dress, and then, you know, maybe your swimsuit, and then you had like a talent contest. Some of you may know about this. I did remember one beauty pageant that I saw on TV, and the talent was yodeling. I do remember that. Another, another contestant's t- talent was ventriloquism. I think it came across a little goofy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was doing her any favors. Puppetry, clogging, yodeling. There's all kinds of different talents. Many contestants sing or play piano or some some instrument or whatever. And, 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 and it's a big deal. But the reality is that if you're in a beauty contest, you're working on this thing for Months and sometimes years. One of my high school classmates uh, became Miss Texas. And I know she worked on that year after year after year. It was like a job. And you go to the spa and you get with your trainer and you talk to a life coach. And you, you know, I don't know, whatever you do to look beautiful. You do all that forever and ever and ever. Well, things haven't changed much. I mean, this 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 beauty contest that was going on back there in the the, the time of the Medo-Persian Empire had a lot to do with this. And and, uh, and, and yet we're going to see in and through this story that God elevates people. Okay, God elevates people. Now, I want to share with you four principles. I want you to write these down on your notes so you can follow along with where we're going. And the first is simply this. God elevates me through sizable setbacks. God elevates me through sizable setbacks. Now, check it out. Esther... Esther is about to win the beauty contest. She's about to become the queen. But she has a lot of things that are stacked against her. Number one, she's an orphan. Her parents died when she was younger. Her cousin, Mordecai, becomes her legal guardian and kind of like a father to her. So she has no family until Mordecai adopts her. She's Jewish. The Jewish people are the lowest of the low, in this culture, okay? She's a woman. Women have virtually no rights in the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, She's also young. Many commentators believe maybe 14 or 15 years old. She's got a lot of things against her. Would you agree? And yet, as the story unfolds, she's going to become a powerful character that God uses in a profound way to save the entire nation Of Israel. It's amazing. But she has a lot of setbacks. And I want to submit to you today that for God to do his work in your life, you're going to have to go through some setbacks. You're going to have some challenges along the way. In fact, I love to say this. Your setbacks are a setup to what God wants to do in your life. Do you believe it? You see, sometimes we have setbacks and we get discouraged and maybe you want to quit because you had some setbacks. But if you will let God work in your life, your setback will become your set up to God's story for your life. Isn't that beautiful? Now look at the verse here in Esther 2.7. Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, Hadassah, that is Esther. Because she did not have a father or mother, the young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his daughter. So think about the hang-ups. Think about the emotional pain that Esther has. Think about what it would be like the, the, to, to, to lose your mother and your father. And now you're living with your cousin. You know, she didn't even have a grandma or an or a uncle or something to take care of her. Uh, so she has a setback. And in Esther 2.10, there's another setback. Esther did not reveal her ethnic background or birthplace because Mordecai had ordered her not to. Mordecai knew if everybody understood you were Jewish, that you probably would not be picked. So she's got these these setbacks. But but Esther um, had learned to rely on the Lord. And sometimes when you go through a setback, it causes you to learn some things. When you go through the school of hard knocks, you learn to rely on God in a way that maybe you did not know before. Or, or you went through some hardship and you had to do some soul searching. This, this young woman had to be very mature and very sophisticated to, to, to be the queen. Um, and, and she had to have wisdom that was beyond her age. And the only way that that could happen was for her to go through some things. Now, some of you have been through some things, and maybe you're a young person, but you're very mature because God is, has caused some setbacks in your life, and, and you've grown, and you have some understanding. Don't be discouraged. That's part of the plan of God. That's part of the providence of God. That, that's a setback that becomes a, a setup. Many of you know that when I was uh, in college, I was, I was running on the track team. And my goal when I was in high school and and early in college was to be a college athlete. I was a high school four letterman. I was most athletic of my high school class. I literally played ball my entire high school experience. That's all I thought about was playing ball, football, basketball, track, cross country, whatever was going on. Man, I was I was signed up. I was down with it. And I wanted to be a college runner. And my co- coach told me, he said, Ryan, I think you can do this. And he introduced me to a college coach. And I, I signed a national letter of intent. And I was so excited about being a college athlete. But my senior year in high school, I broke my hip playing football. And it ruined my senior year of basketball, most, most of my football season, basketball season. And I and missed my track season. My freshman year, I I went ahead and went to the university. I signed the National Letter of Intent. I was on the track team. But because of my injury, I never ran as fast as I did when I was a junior in high school. And I remember one cross-country meet I went to, I got last place. I mean, I was like dead last. Like in cross-country, there's a lot of runners. I I wasn't second to last. I was last. And, And I just never recovered. I was just, I was really fast before that. I wasn't the same after that. And it was in and through that circumstance, God began to change my heart. I wanted to be an athlete, I wanted to be a coach. I had signed up to, to get a kinesiology degree at the university, and God began to use that setback to set me up, and I began to feel God's direction into to ministry. I I I began to, to seek God, and I was like, I think God wants me to be a pastor. This is crazy. Nobody in my family's a pastor. I'm not even sure what pastors really do, but I feel the call. And God redirected my life. The setback was the setup. Now you see, I can sit around and cry and think about, you know, the records that I was about to break and the opportunities and the races I was going to win and the medals I was... But is. Any of that significant compared to finding the story of God for our life. See, sometimes we have to let some things go in the past. God is, God is redirecting you. The setback is the set up to God's purpose for your life. So Esther is a Jew. She's a young woman. She is, she's young. She doesn't have a, her parents but God is going to use all of that in her life because the setback is going to become a setup. Number two is God elevates me through strategic relationships. You know, we sometimes we have this idea that if I'm following the will of God, if I'm doing the things of God like angels come and sit in my living room and angelic chorus, uh, choruses, uh, you know, um, uh, sing and and and. We levitate off the ground or whatever. I mean, sometimes God works in and through the most normal, what feels normal to us, the most normal things, relationships. And God uses a relationship with Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is not the father. Remember, he's the cousin of Esther. But he works for the king. He hears about the beauty pageant and he signs Esther up for it. And had Esther not been living with Mordecai, she may not have heard about the opportunity to become the queen. Look there in uh, chapter 2, verse 11. We see the affection that he has for Esther. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. He cared deeply for her. He kind of got her into this gig, so to speak. And God uses who you know don't don't ever think that that's not spiritual okay um the reason i'll tell you one of the reasons we started edge church in the denver metro area is because i had a buddy from college that was a leader here in our city that helped start churches and i called him and he said ryan I've followed you. I know you've started another church. We would love to have you in Denver. I've got some funding available for you. I want to introduce you to a bunch of the pastors in the city, and we want you to come. That was a big part of this thing. It really was. Do you believe that? God uses the people that you know, He really does. And maybe God's put you in a position of authority or leadership and God wants you to help somebody else, okay? Or, or, or some of us, maybe we need to maybe expand our network a little bit. You may think, well, I don't know anybody. Well, you probably know more people than you think you know. But you know every person that God wants you to know. You know every person that God wants to use in your life. Candace, I remember a few years ago... Uh, you were here at Edge Church, and you needed to work the night shift at the hospital, and you needed some child care. And there was a family in our church that lived across the street from your son and said, Hey, listen, we'll, we will keep him three nights a week. We will make sure he's at elementary school so you can work the night shift, do what you got to do as a single mom. You can make more money. You don't have to pay us. We'll just do it for free. And it was a huge breakthrough for you. It was awesome. It was amazing. And so Candace is, 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 is spending less on childcare, and, and she's able to make more. And, and and sometimes God just puts you in the right relationships. Do you believe it today, church? You see, the setback is the setup. The relationships that you have are for a reason. God put you with that neighbor or that co-worker or that friend or that associate. He did it for a purpose, and he did it for a reason. That was the providence of God. And and, and maybe you you didn't see any angels descend from heaven when you first met that person, but then when you look back on it, you're like, that was God. That was God. God's the one who did that. God did it. God did it. God elevates me through strategic relationships. God is my elevator. God elevates me also through significant time. Now, sometimes it takes a while, church. See, for God to get you into the place that you're headed to, it takes a little while. It takes a little time. Okay, now check it out. Uh, in in uh, chapter 1, verse 3 of the book of Esther, it says it was in the third year of the reign of Ahasuerus, the king. And then in chapter 2, verse 16, it says, in the seventh year of his reign, he took Esther as his wife. So there was a four-year. Help me with the math right there. Seven minus three is what? Four? Is that right? There was a four-year interim period. Sometimes to get you to that place, it takes a little while. It takes a little while. History tells us that the king actually goes to war in another country, and so he was gone for a couple of years. But in addition to that, in chapter 2, verse 12, it gives us a little more information about what took so long. During the year before each young woman's turn to go to King Ahasuerus, the harem, regula- the harem regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months and then with perfume and cosmetics for another six months. Now, help me out. If you got perfume treatments for six months, you would smell like a walking potpourri, would you not? I mean, that is awesome. Can't even imagine that. You had to have 12 months of beauty treatments, microderm abrasion, needling. Did they have Botox back then? Uh, She was only 14. I don't know if she had had to have Botox. There is no telling. Facials, massages. She probably had a life coach. She had a personal trainer. I mean, what else could you do? Esther was looking good. I mean, she was already beautiful. but Man, she got 12 months of beauty treatment. She was looking really good. No wonder the king liked her so much. All those manicures and facials, wow. It took a year. Now, all of that while Esther is in limbo. Some of you right now, you're in limbo, you're stuck between floors. I could just, if I could just get this one matter resolved, I would be happy. God doesn't want you to wait to be happy until, until you get to the next level. You need to be happy where you are. God is leading you. That's just part of the process. Listen, if you have to, be, if you have to wait to be happy a- until everything in your life gets perfectly ordered, are you ever going to be happy? I don't think so. I've never had every area of my life perfectly in order. You know, it kind of feels like I get one one area of my life managed and then another hole comes over here, you know, and you're doing this. Do you know what I'm saying? That's life. And sometimes we're in the process. We did a message a few weeks ago called Trust the Process. Trust the process of God. Trust what God is doing. Enjoy the journey. And Esther could have looked around and seen all of the beautiful women. I mean, this is intimidating. We're talking about the most beautiful women in the world. And you're in competition and, and you see those same girls every single day. That, that's tough. That's like trying to make the NFL roster, right? Everybody that's trying out for the team is outstanding. Everybody is magnificent. But it's in those times that God refines our faith. Enjoy the limbo. Enjoy the in-between times. You can be happy where you are. It doesn't have to be all resolved and worked out before you can be happy. And Esther had to get prepared. Now maybe God is preparing you. The reason that you haven't gone from one floor to another floor is because God's just getting you ready. See, there's a preparation time. I'm sure that Esther was not ready to, to, to move from the, or, the Jewish orphan teenager to the queen overnight. There's a process. You got to learn. You got to grow. Some of you are in the process. You may see where God is leading you, but you may not be prepared. You may not be able to handle it yet. So God is getting you ready so that when he says go, you are properly prepared to do everything he's called you to do. Do you see it? It takes a little while. It takes a little time. And we ought to live today like the door is already opened. You see, what are you not doing today? You're thinking, man, you know, when I get that position, when I get this opportunity, when I have this family, when I have this money, I'll start doing this. No, 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 no. Start doing that today. Start today, whatever it is. Start praying. Start fasting. Start whatever it is. Just start today. Just start doing it. Get ready. Get ready. God's God's moving you to a new level. You got to get prepared. You got to get ready. It took Jesus thirty years to get ready for his public ministry. Did you know it? Luke chapter two says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus had to mature. Moses did not find his. Purpose and his destiny, he didn't really understand the storyline of his life till he was 80. I hope we all figured out before we're 80. It was 80, 80 years old, Moses is going to the Pharaoh saying, Let my people go. But everything up until that point was God's preparation for his life. 40 years as a prince, 40 years on the backside of the desert there in Midian. And God is going to use his experience in the desert as a shepherd for 40 years. He's gonna use that as he leads the children of Israel into the desert. And he's gonna use the first 40 years of experience in the court of pharaoh to know how to secure the release of the people and so you put 40 and 40 together you get 80 and now at 80 years old moses is finally ready to adopt the storyline of his life what is the storyline of your life what what is the theme of your life when you die what are people going to say about you what is it are people going to have to get up at the funeral and lie about you What's the storyline? What, what are people, people going to say about you? What's the theme of your life? Is it that she found the will of God and she did it? Or was it, well, you know what? They wrote their own story, tried to make it up. It was a mess and, you know, look what happened. I can't think of anything sadder. God elevates me through significant time. There's a fourth thing. Write this down. God elevates me through substantial favor. Okay, now one of the themes here of Exodus, uh, excuse me, Esther chapter two is favor, the favor of God, the hand of God. Esther was elevated because of God's favor, not just because of her beauty. Now she was a beautiful young woman. By the way, God made her that way. God made you to look the way that you look. God made you. With the giftings and the abilities that you had. That was all in the design of God. That's not an accident. Okay? If you're intellectual, be intellectual. If you're smart, you be smart. If you're beautiful, then be beautiful. Come on now. God created that, but it was the favor of God that allowed her to win this this contest and to become the queen. And Esther is elevated by favor. Now let me give you a few examples. I'm going to read a few verses to you. Esther 2:9 The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned 7 handpicked female servants to her uh, from the palace and transferred her to the servants uh, transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. This is the eunuch that's running the beauty contest. He, he looked at Esther and he said, She's awesome. I'm going to give her more beauty treatments. I'm going to feed her more veggies. I'm going to give her more attention. Favor, favor, favor. Okay, In chapter 2, verse 15, Esther was the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. When, when her turn came, Uh, To go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what Haggai, the trusted official in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the approval in the sight of everyone who saw her. And that word approval in the New International Version is the word favor. So she has favor with the head of the harem. She has favor with everybody. And guess what? She's going to have favor with the king. Look at that in chapter 2, verse 17. The king loved Esther more than all the other women she won more favor and approval from him than did any of the other virgins. Favor, 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 favor. Why was she elevated? It was because of favor, favor. Joseph, in the Old Testament, he keeps getting knocked down, but the favor of God is on his life. He keeps accelerating. He's in prison for something that he didn't do, and guess what? He begins to rise. Favor, favor, favor favor the favor of God we should ask for the favor of God we should pray for the favor of God that's the blessing of God Jacob begged for it Hezekiah sought it Daniel petitioned for it and Nehemiah cried out for it that is the favor the blessing of God it, it means to, that God takes a likely interest in that person and it also means that we receive attention and respect and And approval uh, because of God's hand of blessing on our life. Favor. Favor, favor, favor. In the New Testament, the word grace and favor have similar meanings. And when the grace of God is on us, we'll have favor. Now, when Jesus is in your life, guess what, guys? You have the favor of God. You've joined the spiritual family of of God in and through his death and his resurrection. Your faith. Man, you you join God's family. The Holy Spirit is in your life. Listen, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the favor of God. When you live by God's principles and precepts, you have the favor of God. You have the blessing of God. And you may say, well, pastor, I don't really feel qualified to be, to, be, to have the favor of God. Well, I got a little verse for you. 2 Chronicles 33, 12-13. Uh, Manasseh is the nastiest king of Judah. I mean, he's the worst of the worst of the worst. He's a villain. Read about him sometime, okay? He's bad. But he gets in a bind and he cries out to God for favor. And guess what God says? God says, okay. And I can trust you, you're not any worse than Manasseh. He's bad. It's real bad. So you're not beyond the favor of God. You're not beyond it. Listen, God wants to elevate your life through sizable setbacks, through strategic relationships, through significant time, and through substantial favor, we serve an amazing God who is writing the storyline of our life, who is orchestrating the circumstances, and who is doing great, great things. Will you pray with me?